Good morning, church. Another Sunday during this time of COVID. We're glad that you're tuning in. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4 today. Today I wanted to look at winning at work. How can you win at work? Nehemiah, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to just begin with verse 6. <clears throat> and uh, verse 6 says this. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Let's pray. Father, guide us into the study of your word. Continue to protect our church family, our extended families. Lord, protect, uh, again, the military on the front lines, the police, the nurses, doctors, first responders, those that keep us safe. Lord, forgive us for all the violence in our country and for the dissatisfaction with all that's going on. Forgive us for not having a more worldwide view of how many people are suffering around the world from this same thing in a lot worse shape than we are. Let us remember to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters there, and we do, and we ask that you would heal them. You gain glory from the midst of this and bring revival to the world. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I wanted to look at winning at your work. Uh, there used to be some commercials on TV that promoted gambling and what were the benefits of gambling. And most of the ideas uh, centered on one thing. It was the idea of never having to get up again early in the morning, 5 or 6 a.m., fight traffic, uh, deal with an honorary boss and difficult co-workers. And that seems to be an idea that people really like, not having to go to work anymore. As a matter of fact, a lot of folks can't wait till the last day when they retire when they can leave their office for the last time or their place of employment, when they can uh, tell the boss as they leave with their last paycheck in their wallet, uh, and the owner's wife is as ugly as yours is too. And uh, that idea uh, seems to permeate our society. Even the church sometimes believes that heaven will be a place free from all work. Some believers think they'll get their harp and a hammock and sleep in a millennium or two. But the problem with that idea is it's not biblical. The idea that work is a curse is not biblical. Genesis teaches us that humanity is now forced to live by the sweat of its brow. That's the curse, okay? But the gift of meaningful work was ours, the race of humans, before the fall. With all that said, how, how do you approach it now, living under the fall, the curse of sin, having to work by the sweat of our bow and the difficulties of co-workers and, and difficult bosses and, and the drudgery and sometimes the monotony of work? I believe the Bible has answers for those questions for us. I believe that it's, you might think it rather simplistic, but it begins and ends with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if we're going to win at work, then we need to realize that all of our work should be done for God's glory. In other words, all of our work should be done for God. We work for God wherever we work at. And I wanted to look at that and see three elements that will be present in our work when we realize we work for God. And so the first one is this from Nehemiah 2, uh, is the desire for work. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Verses 17 and 18, it says this. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are now in. 
How Jerusalem lies in waste, its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. There has to be a desire for work if we're going to win at our work. First of all, let's address some misconceptions about work. The first misconception is that work is a curse. But we need to understand that in Genesis 2.15, it says the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. From the very beginning, mankind, you and I, were intended to work. It was a gift from God. Before that fatal taste of forbidden fruit, God's plan was for you and I to work. We need to understand that. Work isn't the curse. <clears throat> the sweat of the brow is the curse. The difficulty, the drudgery, the monotony is the curse. All right? And we need to understand that getting along in the workplace is a part of that curse. But God gave man the gift of work before the fall. And we need to ask ourselves, first of all, when you think about work, do you consider having to work a curse or do you consider it a blessing from God? The attitude in either one of those are drastically different. And so we need to ask, which way do we consider it? And then another misconception is I work for a paycheck. Do you understand, as I understand, that a paycheck is a divine dividend of work? But the ultimate purpose of work is to glorify God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says this, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You understand that our work is to bring glory to God. And we need to ask, do we bring glory to our workplaces? Do we bring glory to God because he's given us this gift of a job, of work? So that's the misconceptions about work in the desire for work. Point B would be the mature view of work. Under that, a couple of things. Do we realize we were created, all right, to create? We were created to create, to have creativity, even in our work. Again, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God finished his work of creation, and he says, Everything I've made is very good. And then in 2.15 again, the Lord took the man and put it in the garden to work it, and attend it. We understand that we were intended to be creative. He said even work was good. We were made in the image of God our creator and he did creative work and we should have some joy in our creativity. And I hear people all the time say, well, my job doesn't allow any creativity. Well, I think we have to think outside the box for that. Uh, there was a lady that uh, uh, worked as a social worker in the prison system. And the prison system has a high recidivity rate. And that means they, they parole, they go back, and they commit crime, and they're right back in prison again. But her numbers just kept dropping and dropping. 
when the officials wanted to know what she was doing, she showed them what she was doing there uh, with the convict, convicts outside the San Francisco area. She would take them and she was working them in gardens. And they said, well, how does that matter? She said, it's the first time that many of these people had ever participated in something, ever experienced something that dignity and satisfaction of working and creating something worthwhile because they could eat the vegetables, they could sell the vegetables for an extra money, but it was something that they could lay their hands on and see the growth and, and when they weeded the gardens and how it looked and picked the produce and, and processed it, they could see results from their labor and it was their first activity of creative type work. And they wanted to do more of that kind of thing when they got out rather than going back to old lifestyles and being back in. And that's what we have to look at. We have to find ways to be creative at work, to find satisfaction in working for God at whatever we do. Do we understand that? That God intended us to find satisfaction where he has planted us? And we need to get a little creative in doing that? Uh, the second thing under that that point is God gives us work and the desire to perform it. Nehemiah and the people had the will to work. That's what it said. The whole wall is joined all the way around Jerusalem up to about that high because the people had a mind to work. And in 2, 17 and 18, as he tells them what God had laid on his heart, he's, as he shares with them his vision of what could happen, and they get excited about it, they start working together. It says they, they joined hands to do this work that God had called them to do. Do we understand that? You see, our workplace changes as we, as we reflect God's desire for us in that workplace. That we would be happy, that we would be joyful, that we would share Christ, that, that uh, we would example through our actions what a Christian really is until they start noticing and they say, that person is pleasant to be around. That person is a good worker. That person won't get me in trouble. That person is someone I can depend upon. And all those things come from God who gives us that desire to perform in whatever place he has planted us. And our workplaces change. And so there, there needs to be a desire for work. The second thing, there needs to be a dedication to work. In Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm not going to read all of it, but when you start reading Nehemiah chapter 3, it starts talking uh, about uh, who was working at what part of the wall and just list them and list them and list them. The first verse says, Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren and the priest and built the sheep gate and they consecrated it and tells about them hanging it and it lists different ones all the way down through that take a different section of the wall and start working. You see, God dignifies work. We need to understand that. Again, Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. When you get this picture in Nehemiah of all these different ones joining side by side working on different parts of the wall all the way around the city to build the wall so they'll have safety so the reproach will be gone. They're going to clear out the rubbish. They're going to have to rebuild houses. They're going to have a wall again which meant safety. They're going to have gates to protect the city. All the things that they were lacking in security were coming because God had given them a dedication, had given them a dedication 
to work. He dignified their work. That's really a picture of the church working together in our day. Not everybody can do one thing, not everybody can do all things, but we join hand in hand, shoulder to soldier, shoulder to the ministries that God has called us to, and the wall is built up, the work is done. God is glorified in the midst of that. Now, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what kind of work we do, what matters is our attitude towards work. Uh, take two men, both of them are bus, school bus drivers. One comes home every night and complains to his wife. The traffic's it's terrible. The kids are awful. Uh, you know, it's just the noise. You just can't believe it. It's the worst job I've ever had. The other fella comes home. He says, oh, we had such a good day today. Said, little Johnny got to come back to school after being sick. I delivered them safely. We didn't have any problems. You know, they're getting a good education so they can have a better life. Now the difference was attitude. One looked at it as drudgery, monotonous, awfulness. The other looked at himself as somebody who was a key component in getting kids to school to complete their education. Attitude makes all the difference. And we need to ask, how about our attitude towards work? You see, is it a time clock to be punched or is it... Uh, uh, Groceries to be checked, or, or maybe it's uh, uh, an opportunity to serve others, to, uh, to uh, add to society, to be a, a productive member of society. Attitude makes a difference. Now think about it. You think of a checkout clerk at a grocery store, and some people think that's an awful job, but, but she is helping people to fend off starvation because they come, she checks them out, they take the food home. Uh, you, you think about a telephone repairman. I did that in high school. I worked for a couple of years doing that, climbing poles, installing, and keeping the lines open. Well, really, if you look at it, keeping those lines open allows the elderly to call out for help. It allows those in the neighborhood to know what's going on with their neighbors or to their family across the states. And so it was a, a, a something that you could do. The insurance salesman. I've known a lot of those in my life. And, and sometimes we don't like paying the insurance. But what they're really there for, if they work correctly, is when a catastrophe happens, it keeps a family from losing everything. That's an important job. There's always value in honest work. I like the way my... Uncle told me I, I had a job and it was it was not uh, a glamorous job. If you've never washed dishes in a restaurant and cleaned tables, bust tables, and took them in and washed dishes and cleaned up the kitchen after everybody left, it is a smelly, grimy, gross job. All right, and I didn't like it. My friends were teasing me. Why would you work there? But yet it helped me to pay for my schooling, it helped me make a car payment. They fed me, I got to bring food home, all those blessings. And my uncle told me, quit listening to other people and you be the best dishwasher you can be so that God continues to bless you with work. And that changed my attitude. At least I had a job, at least I was making my own way, at least I had food, those kind of things. Attitude makes the difference. God dignifies all kinds of honest labor. Don't look down at people. And then uh, point B under the dedication to work is this. If you're really going to be dedicated to work, we should treat others as we wish to be treated. We should treat others as we wish to be treated. Matthew uh, 
Chapter 7, verse 12 says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. See, Nehemiah and his people faced a lot of difficulties. They had attacks from without, murmuring from within. But one of their main attacks was this. They weren't treating each other correctly. How do I mean that? If you'll read Nehemiah chapter 5, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, here's what was really going on that Nehemiah came back and found, and, and, and he said this. Verse 4. There were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards, yet now our flesh is the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them. The other men have our lands and vineyards. And it says, Nehemiah became very angry when we heard this. He says, you're extracting money by usury from your brethren. This isn't right. You should not treat your own people this way. So here's what was going on. The people had been working on the law. They didn't have enough to really feed their families. And yet they were paying taxes. And when they couldn't afford the taxes, they would borrow money from the wealthy or the, uh, the elite of their day. And those people were saying, pay it back, pay it back. Well, they gave up their, their land. They gave up their orchards. They gave up the way they had to make money. And they worked for a little bit of nothing, sort of like sharecropping. And then when that wasn't enough, well, give me your daughter. She can be my slave. She can pay me. Or give me your son. They can be my slave. And they couldn't redeem them. They couldn't get them out of slavery. They were not treating one another as it should be done. And Jer or Nehemiah gets all over them. It was against the law of God to do that. And when they repented and they set those free, the work continued and they finished the project. Do we understand that? Do we know that? We have to treat others as they want to be treated or the way they need to be treated. See, the people were dedicated and they stuck with it as they started treating one another as they wished to be treated. When work requires dedication, they realized that God was dignifying the work, that God was helping the work, but the last requirement they had was that, look, we've got to treat each other the right way. Here's the spiritual truth. Our workplaces will change as we treat others the way God would have us treat them or the way we want them to treat us. Uh, my mama used to tell me because of my sour disposition and my a uh, few other problems, anger, uh, one of them, said, Gary, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And I had to hoe a long, hard road before I started realizing you just treat people sweetly and love on them and they love on you and treat you sweetly. You treat them in a grumpy matter, they're grumpy with you. You act like you've been sucking vinegar all day and they don't want anything to do with you. We, if we're going to win at work have to treat others the way we want to be treated. Now, I'm going to be honest. Some people will take advantage of you. I'm not naive in the workplace. I've worked in the public many times. But let me tell you something. That's between them and God. You don't have to worry about vengeance or anything else. God says he would repay. Okay? God says to pray for those who despitefully use you to love your enemies. And so even at work... We have to treat them the way we want treated and let God handle the rest. The third requirement is the dependency on work. So we have the desire to work, the dedication to work, the dependency to work. And point A is we have to depend on God. Now I get this from Nehemiah 
chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 11. Nehemiah has asked somebody coming back for, from Jerusalem, how do our people fare? So the gates of the city are burned with fire. They're in uh, all this trash that litters everywhere around them. The garbage. And verse 4 says, So when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, he goes on and he prays until the time comes that the king's going to ask him what's wrong. And he says this later in the chapter in verse 11. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servants prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And then when the king notices he's sad, asking him what's wrong, Nehemiah tells him, what would you have you do? He tells him what God has laid on his heart, set a time to come back, and he sends him with a king's letter to let him cross and to give him the, the lumber that he needs to build the wall and fix the gates. Do we understand that? We understand that we had to depend on God. This could never have happened to Jerusalem and the help never have come except that Nehemiah was raised in the position of the cupbearer. He tasted everything, especially the wine that the king drank to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Once it was safe, the king took it. It was a very respected position. And yet Nehemiah is giving all that up and endangering himself because he's depending on God. The work was started with prayer. It was performed with persuasion. But the Lord aided them. See, our God will help us, us in our work if we will glorify him in the work. Now, point B under the dependency of work is God's gift. God gifts us for work. God gives us for work. Now, here's what I mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, we are told this. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In other words, God gifts us for our work. I think many people are dreadfully unhappy today. I think many people hate their jobs today because they're not doing work that they're gifted for. God gifts each of us with gifts to use as we work for Him, in service to Him, to glorify Him. Not just at church. And he does give us those spiritual gifts for spiritual matters, but he gives us gifts to work in life. Now, how do you know that? How do you know what you're supposed to be doing? Well, the first question, ask yourself, what is the passenger passion of your life? What would you do if nobody paid you to do it? That's a passion. Okay, and I'm not talking about taking a nap every day or fishing every day or hunting every day. Some people earn a living at that, but God hadn't gifted all of us to do that. Then ask, where have you known uh, significant success or satisfaction in life? For, uh, for instance, you can identify that you're a talker or that you're more studious and quiet. You can identify that you like to meet people or that you don't. That ought to clue you in on the type of job that God has gifted you for. Some people like working alone. They can be trusted. They're sent out all by themselves. They do the job. They do a great job. Others, that would drive them crazy. They've got to be among people, around people, and interacting. And that's the type of job they need. It's the type of job you need if you're like that. But listen to others. They may affirm what you already sense. They may see other things you don't see. And finally, this is most important, okay? Spend time in prayer 
with God in his word every day and he will direct you. Now I want to say something here and pause a minute. I want you to hear me very, very carefully. When I talk about giftedness for work, whether it's in spiritual things at the church or in regular things, that does not mean I'm telling you to quit. You're miserable, so quit. I did not say that. I said spend time with God and watch him work. He'll either change you or he'll change your circumstance. But you spend time with God depending on him. That's exactly what the book of Proverbs says in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I had, a, I had a mama who wanted me to be a lawyer. I had a daddy who wanted me to take over the lumber business for the family. I myself thought I would be a history teacher and a coach of all things. And I couldn't imagine anything making me happier than coaching football and teaching history. Both things I loved. And God had a completely different plan. When I ran from it and he disciplined me until I surrendered to what he wanted, I found out he knew what I was supposed to do. He knew where I'd be the happiest. He knew that I wanted something that would make a different impact. If you want something that makes an impact for the kingdom of God or something that has eternal consequences, get on God's program, work in the kingdom, wherever you're working right now. But trust in Him. Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all your ways and He'll direct your paths as surely as He directs my path. See, our work has to be done for God. And we need to surrender to that to Him today. But if you haven't surrendered to Him as Lord and Savior, you need to do that first. You need to confess him publicly as a personal Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive your sin and be the boss of your life. If you're living in a way that's contrary to him and you're doing things that don't please him, you need to come and rededication. Maybe you need to come for a church membership. I don't know, but you know, and God knows. Because we know when God speaks to us. And so, as we celebrate Labor Day, thank God for the gift of labor. My dad was very plain about Labor Day. We'd always have a barbecue at the end of the day, but we were going to labor the rest of it because it was Labor Day. And he would invite lots of family over because he could get more labor done. And they would really enjoy the, the barbecue later. Uh, but they didn't realize how much work they were going to do to get to that part. But he fed us well, and we had a great time. Labor Day. Celebrate the common labor because there's nothing common about labor to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you for work. Thank you for labor. Thank you for what you called us to do as a church body. Uh, Lord, let us be attentive that, that now that COVID and everything's happening, that labor may never be quite the same as it was before. But that's okay because you're still in control and we can still depend on you and we can still glorify your name in the midst of what you call us to do. Lord, let Jesus be lifted up. You be glorified in Christ's name. Amen.
This is my story, this is my soul. 